And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Well, he was with me back in May of this year as we were talking about some of his works, including Picaflores, The Nerve Endings of God, which was an amazing book. He's got the, uh, several of them. He's an author, editor, shamanic explorer. Matthew Palomari's books are some of the best in the subject matter. Matthew, welcome back. How are you? George, thank you again for having me on. You too, and I hope your holidays will be tremendous. I'm counting on it. Yeah, me too, me too. Tell me about the holographic cosmic man. Yeah, it's um, a play on words to some degree. I may have even invented a new word, who knows, but um, it's a play on the Temple of Anthropocosmic Man, which is in Luxor, Egypt, and it's a map of the human body. And um, it was studied for 15 years by a Frenchman by the name of Schwaller de Lubitz, and he did a total over 15 years period of time, I think 12 years on site, he did a mathematical uh, analysis of the whole temple. And it's full of the golden mean everywhere. The arches, the artwork, the proportions all follow the golden mean. And for the um, listeners who who may not be aware of the uh, golden mean, it's also called the golden cut. And it's 1.618. And it's everywhere in nature and everywhere throughout uh, the human body. So they say that the Temple of Anthropocosmic Man is not only a map of the human body, but it's a map of the cosmos. So uh, it's in- inherent, and that's actually uh, the definition of a hologram and the qualities of it. Did the ancients understand holograms? I mean, we're just finding out what they are now. What's fascinating is that the golden mean is actually a very precise uh, and exact mathematical and geometric model model of the golden mean. It, it's actually, if you, if you were to break down what a holographic uh, hologram does and what it is, it is the golden mean. So even though, well, we don't even know. They may have had, God knows what kind of technology preceded us. If anybody's followed the works of like Graham Hancock and people like that, right. there's the whole ancient alien and um, God knows how many civilizations preceded us. But uh, mathematically speaking and in the architecture throughout history in many different ways and throughout nature, the golden mean is everywhere and it's the basis of uh, the Fibonacci Fibonacci spiral and many other things so they had the knowledge in in my humble opinion all of these new quote-unquote new discoveries in my humble opinion are rediscoveries of knowledge that's just come and gone over all the eons that have passed how did you uncover this well it's interesting I got fascinated with sacred geometry um, I always like to say that I learned everything I needed to know about sacred geometry through my visionary experiences with ayahuasca in the jungle in the Amazon. And then I met my good friend, Dr. Scott Olson. He's a a guru on on the golden mean. He's a professor of comparative religion. And um, after I had this grasp of what it all meant, he gave me a big list of books. I probably bought a shopping bag full of books. And then I I read all of them. What I already knew I liked to follow up with intellectual knowledge, for lack of a better word. So I started studying it and researching it and finding out more and more and more. And then uh, throughout my my life and my path, I would read things, and then I would have my visionary experiences uh, in the jungle, and I would and I would learn things, and I play off what I read in books with the direct experience that I have in the visions, and they they play off of and enhance each other. You're a plant person, aren't you? Yes, sir. Um, I've been, I've been well, I was a vegetarian for for 28 years, um, and then I started eating some some light meat after doing some jungle diets. But um, I've become more and more involved. And you know, there's the old expression, dumber than a houseplant. Well, I'm not so sure that the plants are so dumb. No, that's true. We, as a matter of fact, we had a picture on our website a couple days ago of a tree 
that looked like it was crying. Do you think they show emotion? I, I know they do. There, there were those experiments. Uh, I think you and I touched on this before. Uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. He was the lie detector guy. He was here in San Diego. Clive Baxter. Thank you. You get an A right there, Clive Baxter. And there were the experiments he did of, of hooking up the lie detector machines and getting reactions from the plants. And there are all the experiments that have been done with um, music and enhancing mm-hmm. growth and other things that enhance it. So plants have a conscious awareness. And in, in my experience and my humble opinion, um, ayahuasca, among others, uh, has its own innate intelligence, and it communicates in different ways. If you, if you think about it, we as humans, we communicate with gestures and language and, and different things. Well, how do plants communicate? They can communicate by smells, uh, by actions, by by colors, by all these things. And then when you have visionary experiences, it's a, it's a completely different language that seems uh, actually alien in a lot of respects, but it's a method of communication. I had Graham Hancock on the program last week, Matt, and he speaks uh, entirely like you in terms of ayahuasca and, you know, the strength of plants and everything else. Truly remarkable. I I take that as the highest compliment. Um, I, I love his work. I've been following him and many other people for, for years, but I, I really love his work. He's he's on it. In the book, the new one, The Holographic Cosmic Man, what is that main message you want to deliver to people? I want a message, The message I want to deliver to people is that everything, everything, infinitely connected, both in the inner worlds and the outer worlds. So I always like to say, if you go far enough in, you, you end up out. And if you go far enough out, you end up in. When I was a young man growing up, uh, I was enraptured with the space program. and we, we all wanted to be astronauts, didn't exactly. we? Exactly. I wanted to be astronauts. But I grew up poor, and I didn't have the resources necessarily to become that. And I started going to the inner worlds. And people who are inner explorers are called psychonauts. And so um, I've worked on expanding my mind in different ways by going inside. And if you go far enough in, you end up out. And I always like to say also that if you go far enough left, you end up right. And if you go far enough right, you end up to the left. Yeah, that's right. You make that circle. Yeah. So to me, we're all trying to find our way back home. And for me, home is at the center. Tell me about the cover of your book, This, this the, the picture, the graphic of that skull in that mass within it is kind of interesting. You know, I can take a little bragging rights. I did that with Photoshop. And what I wanted to show is that the, the diagram on top of the skull is a representation of the golden mean and its expression that it goes out on a Fibonacci spiral. It's, it's in the universe. That particular uh, galaxy that's behind the skull follows the Fibonacci sequence, that spiral. The skull follows those same proportions. So doesn't the brain. So I wanted to have the brain on top of the spiral to show the inner world and the outer world that are ultimately the same. And if you you know you look throughout nature, there's there's a million examples. You can see it in the um, the form of a hurricane. And the interesting thing about a hurricane, what happens in the middle of a hurricane? Nothing. It's 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 a peaceful place. And the further you go out in a spiral, the 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 higher the winds, the more the activity. And the closer you get to the center, the more peaceful and calm it is. So in terms of being on a spiritual path. Going toward the center is the thing. And there, and there's in, in the temple of anthropocosmic man and in shamanism overall, there's this whole concept that the heart is the center of our being. And our heart is connected to the sun, which gives life to our solar system. And the sun gives its life and its energy unconditionally. And in shamanism, our heart is connected to that sun, which is connected to a bigger sun, to a bigger sun, to a bigger sun, all the way back to source. And of course, that's infinite in, in you know, shamanic belief systems and all uh, ancient religious systems. So that's an example. 
example of the microcosm and the macrocosm, which is also represented in that temple. So I wanted to catch the golden mean and put it on top of the skull, showing human and show the brain, which is also uh, a miniature universe. There's a great book that was out many years ago called The Three-Pound Universe, and also uh, the, the holographic, I think it's the holographic universe. Mm -hmm. They all yeah, share the same concept that um, the golden mean is at the center of everything. And the more you look, it's, it's like when you buy a new car, right? You buy a new Prius, and then you look, and suddenly you see Priuses everywhere, right? They're all over the place. Same, yeah. same color, same model, same everything. Yeah, everybody's doing it. So <laughs> this is the same kind of a concept when you really start to study the Fibonacci spiral and the golden mean throughout the, the cosmos, throughout the planet, throughout the human body. It is everywhere. Well, Fibonacci was an Italian scientist, of course, and explain the Fibonacci sequence to us because it's it's more than just a sequence of numbers. It basically develops the planet itself, doesn't it? The planet and the plants. So if you take, like, like you can visualize this because obviously listeners can't see the cover. Well, they can look and see it on Amazon. Like a four-leaf clover. That would be a Fibonacci sequence, wouldn't it? Four-leaf clover, but even a better example is typically, there are always exceptions to the rule, but typically when a plant grows, the leaves follow a Fibonacci sequence spiral. It's called phyllotax, P-H-Y-L-L-O-T-A-X-I-S. And the leaves come out at a Fibonacci sequence, which gives max, maximum sunlight exposure to each leaf, and it's a growth pattern. And you can see it in, in sunflowers and in pine cones, um, in that Romanesque, uh, I think it's Romanesque broccoli. Um, it's everywhere. So interestingly enough, geometrically, if you take the golden mean and you do it at right angles to itself, so like on the human body, there's the first segment of the finger to the next segment. Mm -hmm. That's the golden mean. Those two segments to the next one is the golden mean. Are these all design, Matt? I think it's a divine design. Um, it's the, the, in the human body, the belly button is right at where the golden mean is. It's in the geometry of the face, the, the, the fingers, the arms, the legs, um, the eyeball. They all follow this sequence. And when you look and see it throughout nature, it's everywhere. It's everywhere within the human body, down to the microscopic, down to the quantum level. And then it goes out expansively, infinitely in both directions. The fact that it is uh, infinite in both directions is another thing that fascinates me. It's part of the great mystery. You call the Internet a giant hologram. Tell me why. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Um, so in my research and my studies and my experience, we all have our own inner subpersonality. Many of them reserve to shadow, both good and bad. I always like to say I'm a cast of thousands. When you do the deep inner work, you find out that we're all made up of multiple subpersonalities. So um, this is, a, I don't know if uh, we've had this discussion, if you've heard of Gurdjieff, who's one of my favorites. I have not. So Gurdjieff was a, was a, a Russian mystic. Um, Jung was uh, studying under him at one point. Um, I think he, he died around 1955 and he was born in the late 1800s, Gurdjieff was. Anyway, Gurdjieff says, we come into the world as essence and we develop personality or personalities as a way to function within the world. Those personalities as subpersonalities or egos, or ego if you do it collectively. Our egos, we create our egos in order to function within the world because what do we do when we come into the world? We, we emulate our parents, the kids next door, brothers and sisters. That's how we learn, and we learn how to cope, whether good and bad. If you continue on the path, we, we get so good at it and our egos get so good at protecting us that we think that we are our egos, we are our personalities, but we're not. We're essence. So the, the path is from the head to the heart, going from personality back to essence, to finding our way 
back to essence. So we have all these subpersonalities. Now, one way, if you want to find out what your real shadow is, you look at the people around you in your life and anything that anybody does that drives you crazy, that's your shadow. So if you look at it within ourselves from a microcosmic perspective, like I was just talking about, and then you look at the internet with all the different ideas, politically, good, bad, and different, and, and the truths and untruths, they're all reflections of us collectively. And in, in many respects, the internet is really the mass mind of, of humanity. And all of the vying ideas and thoughts, truths and untruths, or what people think are truth, are all there represented. And of course, it's gotten accelerated in recent years and gotten us into a lot of trouble. And look at you know the stuff that's happening now with all of the yeah. All of this stuff, the, you know, a lot of the social media stuff is collapsing. It's getting out of hand. All the nuttiness that has gone on with the elections over the past few years. Crazy. And it's all because there are these millions of different points of view, which reflects what's inside of us. So, you know, they do their search engines and their analysis and their algorithms, and they find out if you have a politically type of personality or a particular persuasion. They gear the marketing and what goes to your, your, uh, your cell phone or your computer is what they found out about your habits from how you do your searches and your activities on the Internet. It's getting reflected back to you. So it's all a big mirror in all of our different things and all of the things, if you look on the Internet, the things that drive you nuts are the things that are that are hidden inside of your shadow. And what your shadow and your personality does is it recognizes it in other people and then it projects onto them because it doesn't want to be found out because it's trying to protect you. It's like a trained puppy. There, there's, there's all this, or I should say a trained guard dog. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's all this stuff that goes on about kill your ego. No, you don't kill your ego. You do what um, one of my coaches told me years ago. You give it a new job. Do you believe, Matt, that spirituality of the human being is critical? Yeah, I think we I think we're all presented with choices. And in the toughest times of my life when I put myself in the worst positions, I said to myself, "Look, every decision you ever made got you to where you are. So you have to take responsibility for it and you have to own it." And all of the hard stuff I brought upon myself, ultimately at this point in time, I'm thankful for because I learned from it. And I think that um you you know, there's the whole thing about he, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? I mean, you can amass all this massive wealth, and I and I, I know a number of very wealthy people who are personal friends of mine, and some of them are the most unhappy people that I know. You're right about that. And then if they die, what good was it? Yeah, you can't take it with you. That's right. right. Exactly. So Enjoy it and have fun with it. Yeah, have fun with it for sure. And so that's why as I've gone further along on this path, being in the moment, the here and now, is what really counts. Well, and there's a difference, too, between being reckless and having fun and enjoying your life. You know, you, you don't have to be out of control. You're, yeah, you know, and to me the difference is by doing things that are done with conscious awareness as opposed to uh, if you let the personalities run you, so to speak, which most of us are like that. I always like to say the inmates are running the asylum. Exactly. Matt, hold on. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and chat more about the holographic cosmic man. We'll take calls with you next hour, and I'll uh, direct you folks when you call to ask uh, one of several questions of Matt Polymeri. His website's linked up at coasttocoastam.com.
And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you with Matt Palomari, and his latest work is called Holographic Cosmic Man. Matt, how much does this echo spirituality or pure science, or is there a mixture of the both? That's a great question. Um, you know, in, in our culture and society, we have science, we have spirituality, we have mathematics, we have language, and they're all separate. But in ancient Egyptian culture, they were all one and the same. Art, spirituality, and science, they considered themselves to be all the same thing. And when you look at some of the greatest art that's been done, particularly in Egypt, that's where the, the golden mean is uh, very inherent in all of it, they have the same reverence for that, uh, for lack of better words, what uh, I call and what they refer to as pretty much divine perfection in the natural order of things. It's everywhere. Where does prayer fit in with this? Well, prayer is an interesting thing. You know, a lot of people in our culture, they'll suddenly get religion and they'll suddenly pray when they have a problem. But um, in shamanism, there are different levels of prayer. And in in shamanism, we're all we are all a spark of we all each a spark of the divine. So we're all God, and we're all reflections of each other. So there are levels of prayer in shamanism. You can do a uh, silent inner prayer. Then you can do uh, you can voice it. Now, by voicing a silent inner prayer, you by the addition of your voice, you're giving it more energy. And then you can add on to that by, particularly in South American shamanism, you can blow tobacco smoke into the air. And air is considered spirit. And tobacco is kind of like matter into spirit. So you, you say your prayer and you blow tobacco smoke into the air, you're giving your prayer even more power. And then, you know, in Eastern cultures, there are, there are mantras and there, and throughout the world, worldwide, there are songs and music that are done um, in a devotional way. So if you add music, if you, if you have a prayer and you say it musically, you're adding even more energy. So there are different levels you can put to it. And in some respects, when you're, when you're praying, you're praying to yourself. Because you're praying to the to the divine spark of life that's within you. Is that why some of the ancients, Matt, would chant along with prayer? Yes. Yeah. There there, hmm. there, there are mantras and chants, and certain uh, vocalizations have particular vibrations. And in ancient thought and shamanic thought, everything is vibration anyway. So when you sing different things at different frequencies, you are cultivating those energies and when like in in south american shamanism particularly ayahuasca shamanism you can take the word spirit and you can take the word energy and they're the same thing if i suddenly get mad and beat somebody up you could say that i was possessed by the spirit of anger right so if there's a spirit of a plant it's actually the particular energy of that plant and uh, ayahuasca in particular uh, is considered the mother of all the other plants. And when you imbibe that plant and you get into the energy of that plant, you're also opening yourself up to other plants that work with it and also different animals. So you're, you're, you're creating energy and you're acknowledging energy in the world around you and you're manifesting particular energies. You know, I can, I can go around all day and be angry and mad at people or I can go around and be a loving person. They're two different energies. And they make you feel better. They make you feel better, yes. And in the end, fear is contraction and love is expansion. Why does prayer work then? Well, it depends on the intention behind it. It has to do with intention. If, you, if you're just going to pray every time, gee, I want a new car, you know, that's kind of... Right. Please, God, I'll go to church. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll never do this again if you 
if you save my puppy or you know it should be really an act of devotion and if you really follow a path uh, one to aspire to everything you do should really be uh, done in a prayerful conscious way because in the end prayer is conscious awareness and if indeed we are all reflections of each other and we are all seeing the inner God within each one of us. There's the, the yoga expression of namaste, I bow to the light within you. You, rep- you rec- recognize the divine in others that's within you. Then it gets down to the golden rule of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And everything you do should ultimately, if you're on the path, and nobody's perfect, but you know, if you're on the path and you do everything, you do it as an act of worship. So, so prayer can also be action. If, if you want an intention, you know, if I want to, if I want to sell more books, I've got to get out and market it. I'm not going to just going to say, please, God, sell more books for me. That's it, not going to happen. It's just not going to come like that. you got right. to, you got to work. you got to make it happen. You have to make it happen. And one of the things that happens um, with prayer, there was a wonderful shaman. I think he was an Oglala Sioux shaman. Uh, it was the name of Fool's Crow. And he was a great healer. And he would say, I'm not really a great healer. I am a hollow bone. And when I am connected to the divine energies, they come through me and they they use me as a hollow bone, but it's not me. And um, they did a study many, many, many years ago asking all the geniuses in the world what they all had in common. And the one thing they all had in common is they all said it's not me. So I think when you're in a doing uh, a prayerful mode or a, a worshipful divine mode, you learn to be an instrument and you get your, get your egos out of the way and let the bigger picture come through because all of this is way bigger. We're all way bigger than we realize that we are. And we're all part of the big picture and we're all connected in ways that, that transcend space and time. So if you're cultivating that energy, which is expansive, then you become an instrument for it. And in many respects, you surrender yourself to it. I mean, I wake up in the morning and I say, okay, what do you want now? Here I am, you know, um, the, the, I don't really want anything. I mean, it'd be nice to have a new car, but I'm, but that's not my goal in life. As long as, as long as you have one that works, that's all that matters. Yeah, if I can get from point A to point B, that's not something in my you know opinion worth praying for but maybe a better world is something to to Mm -hmm. put your energy toward and and, you know it's creating and manifesting that energy and projecting it out into the world that to me is the essence of prayer well you brought up a key word called intention and to 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 you what does intention mean intention is at the core of shamanism and intention has to do with what do you really want to achieve what is your real purpose for doing it you know There have been a lot of quote-unquote gurus who have gone into powerful positions and then they fall to the temptation of beautiful women and seducing young women and those kind of things that happen. Um, I remember you and I talked last time a bit about John of God and all the the things that happened there that were not good. Right, right. So, you know, the, the thing is shamanism is also called the power path. And the more you grow in personal power, the more centered you become. But the more you grow in personal power, the greater the consequences if you fail. So tied in with intention is integrity. Those are those are two, two of the key words that go hand in hand. They're, in many ways, they're two sides of the same coin. If you have good intention with integrity, you will go on personal power and you'll realize that the greatest personal power, the greatest thing that you can really do to be truly powerful is to be of service. 
and that's a and 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 people get there's a there's a there's a fine fine line there. There's a razor's edge where people fall off fall off the razor's edge, so to speak, because they get seduced by the power. How did you get to this point where you understand it? Because you understand it quite well, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, thank you. I, through through uh, the school of hard knocks and all of my work, um, I just got back a couple of months ago from my 13th 10-day um, shamanic plant diet with ayahuasca and other plants in the jungle. And I've had to confront my shadow. And uh, I know you and I discussed this before. I grew up in Dorchester in Boston. It's, it's a tough place to grow up. And um, when I was a young man, one of my ambitions in life was to be a successful criminal. And I had to go into the depths of who I am. And it's an ongoing process. You never arrive. Anybody who tells you they're enlightened, you better run in the other direction. It, it, it never ends. But it's a constant way of unfolding and realizing that fear and the darkness actually holds great gifts. But you have to be willing to confront it. And ayahuasca has a way of finding your deepest fears and amplifying them and putting them in your face where there's like no escape. And you spend most of the time by yourself. And so you have to face yourself if you're really doing the work. And not only that, but when you get these realizations, you have to put them to work in your everyday life. I often tell people the experiences can be wonderful and sublime and exquisite and terrifying and all of those things. But in many respects, it's the time between the experiences where it's really important because you have to you have to live your truth. Matt, what is a paradox to you? Oh, it's one of my favorite words of all time. A paradox is transcending a unity of opposites. So, you know, I, I said it earlier, if you go far enough right, you end up left. If you go far enough left, you end up right. Yeah. If, if you have people who they, they go around and, well, I just want to see the light and I'm just a light worker and I just want to, that's, that's a bunch of baloney. And if you go straight, you end up coming back to where you started. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> but you have to have the light and the dark. You can't have the light without the dark. And the more the dark, the brighter the light and vice versa. And the journey is really back toward the center where you start to find inner peace. And when you find inner peace, you don't get caught up in the whirlwinds of the energies that are going on on the outskirts at, at higher speeds. And when you find more and more of that inner peace, and you get tested every day, and as soon as you think you've arrived is right about when you get your butt handed to you. So you want to work toward the center where you have objectivity. So if you're in, in, an, in an ayahuasca experience, you could be in a blissful heavenly realm, or you can be in a hell, dark hellish realm, but you have that objectivity, and you're aware and if you do something, let's say for argument's sake, um, I know it's not the best thing in the world for me, but I smoke some pot. Well, if I smoke it with conscious awareness, it's different than just being chronic, you know, addicted nonstop without thinking about what I'm doing because I'm just trying to escape from myself. There, there is a difference. The same thing with somebody wants to have a drink. If they have a drink and it's with conscious awareness, that's a lot different than somebody who's an alcoholic who's just slamming down shots nonstop. You know, from the time they get up in the morning. So when you when you resolve a paradox, to me a paradox is a wonderful cosmic puzzle. When you when you resolve a paradox, then you find the unity of the two opposites. And finding the unity of the two opposites is the definition of transcendence. And one of the greatest examples I always love to use, and I may have used it with you before, so forgive me if I'm being redundant. But if you think of a pendulum, when a pendulum swings up in one direction, let's say it swings up to the left, when it reaches the very peak of the left, it gets momentarily weightless. There's no energy there. It like it hangs and floats there. Yeah, momentarily weightless. And then when it comes back 
down to the very center when it has the maximum amount of power. And then, of course, it starts to swing the other way, and it begins to decelerate until it gets to that weightless point on the other side again. But it goes back and forth, back and forth, from you know, and you can call you can you can call one side positive and one side negative, but it goes back and forth. But it's in the middle where the power is. And um, I find that in 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 terms of our country, I've watched that happen over the years politically, where it swings to the right, it swings to the left. You know, it goes too far one, it goes the other, it goes back and forth, and even. All the battles between Congress and the Senate and all that, it's always going back and forth, but it's always trying to find a balance. We've talked a lot about uh, the positivity of this. It's very enlightening. But what about the negativity? That pops up, too. What do you do about that? You have to see it for what it is. And within myself, from all the work I've done, I look at it and I say to myself, how does this energy feel? And if it feels bad and non-harmonious, then I, I, I keep an eye on it. And I've learned, I'm still learning to keep my mouth shut. Like when I wanted to go off on some things and I just keep my mouth shut and I just wait and let, let the storm pass, so to speak. I'll find out within a day or two, sometimes in a matter of hours, just how wrong I was. Yet when that energy had a hold of me, I felt like I was so right, you know, righteous anger. So to me, it's not necessarily really good and evil. I see it as a continuum of awareness. And the darker it is, is a lower vibration and a lower awareness. Do you believe in the devil, Matt? Um, mm, that's a tough one. It is. Not, not the way people do. I think we all have our own demons. And I think that we're ultimately we're all our, our own worst enemy. And I think that evil is ultimately really ignorance. So in terms of a guy running around in his red pajamas with a pitchfork and horns, I don't think so. Um, but I think that um, there can be a, a, an energy of the devil. Uh, there can be satanic energy. I've, I've had experiences with it over the years uh, at oh, different points with people where they were seen, evil. We've seen it in people. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've seen some bad things happen over the years, people dying and other things. Matt, where do you get your book, Holographic Cosmic Man? It's either it's, it's on uh, Amazon, and then it's at uh, Mystic Inc. Publishing, M-Y-S-T-I-C-I-N-K-P-U-B-L-I-S-H-I-N-G.com. That's so, direct from the publisher. And then also, as I say, it's on Amazon, as are all my other books. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break and come back and take some phone calls with you. And if you consider a phone call with Matt, I'd like you to also consider intention. Call us with what you think intention is. Have you used it? And how successful? We'll be back. And welcome back to Coast to Coast, George Norrie with Matthew Palomari as we are talking about holographic cosmic man. Have you used intention in your own life, Matt? Yes, sir. Um, mostly to try to make myself a better person and uh, as best I can. And it's one of the big teachings that I've learned through a number of my shamanic teachers. It's really at the core of it. Um, and then, you know, there's the old Rolling Stones song, uh, you can't always get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. Yep. So oftentimes I wanted something and got something completely different, but in the end it turned out to be better. So you does, know. does the cosmos do these things for us sometimes? I think when you, you know, I think when you surrender to something that's bigger than you and you acknowledge the fact that it's bigger than you, then I think it does. 
I think it works for you, but you have to be willing to surrender. I like to think of it as swimming. You can try swimming upstream and see how much progress you get, or you can, you can swim with the stream. The other great analogy I love, which is called riding a wave. When a surfer rides a wave, he masters the wave. He doesn't control the wave. He becomes one with it. And it's also, uh, there's a term, effortless mastery. And when you're, when you're playing music, like I'm a, I'm a drummer and a vocalist also. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. My, my dad was a big band jazz drummer uh, in the Navy, a big band, and I've played drums all my life. And when I'm playing and I'm in the groove, I don't even think. You're in the zone, right? I'm in the zone, and it's effortless, and, and the inspiration of the music and the beat and the rhythm moves me. And people say, wow, that was really amazing. And I'm like, wow, great. But, you know, in some respects, it really wasn't me because I've surrendered to something bigger. So it's the whole idea of, of surrendering and opening yourself up and going with the flow and riding the wave. Then I think it always works out, even though it may not seem so in the moment. If you trust in it and trust in your intention and you ultimately have good intention, I think in the end, it has been my experience, even though there have been tough times, I will always end up coming out on top sooner or later. Sometimes I'm a little hard-headed, so it takes a little longer, but it always works out better in the end. Can you use these techniques too, Matt, for health purposes? Yeah. I'm a walking science fair experiment. Um, I do a lot with supplements and peptides. Yep, me too. Yeah, and I want to be—I want to be, I wanna be a, at my peak performance that I can be at. I, I don't want to die on the installment plan. I want to be at the peak, and then when it's time to go, it's time to go. But um, you know, but you, things, but you don't want to check out too early. No, I'm not in any hurry. I mean, part of me is looking forward to it, but I'm not in any great hurry. It, it, it's the next frontier. But you know, I, I think if we are all in my universe, we're all sparks of the divine, and so everything that I put into my body is an offering to divinity. So if I love and respect myself to the best of my ability instead of being self-abusive, which I have been in the past, and I try to spoil myself and give myself the best of everything because if I'm feeding myself and I'm a microcosm of the macrocosm of the cosmos, then if I'm feeding myself with good, loving, healthy intention, then I'm doing the same for the cosmos, and that is going to reflect back on me. And what has happened to me over time is as I've worked on improving myself over the years, the people in my life who have not been healthy for me have fallen away and newer people have come into my life. And so I see that as, if you get back to the whole thing about the world around you being a reflection of how you are inside. So the more I've done the work and the more I've improved myself, the more the higher the quality of people have come into my life. Good for you. Let's go through with some calls here. First time caller, James in Dallas, Texas. Hi, James. Hey, how are you, sir? Good to have you with us. Good. Fantastic. Hey, gentlemen, I want to say one thing. Uh, I know what intention, in my mind, intention uh, is what you intend to do, right? Mm-hmm. However, I believe the only thing we have control over as human beings is how we act and react every 15 seconds for the next 15 seconds of our lives. Explain a little bit more, Jim. I guess I choose how to act and react from every action and or reaction that I have, right? My question to you guys is this. If you have the word intention followed by promise, followed by commitment, then vow. If I promise something, I feel as though that uh, promises are made to be broken. Mm -hmm. If I intend to do something, well, that's an intention. 
When I vow to do something, well, I ask God and my peers to hold me accountable so that I can do it right. But then comes the word commitment. To me, commitment is, am I right or wrong, is, is something that uh, if you say, say what you do, do what you say type scenario. Matthew, what do you think? That, you know, that right there is actually a definition of integrity. If, you know, if you do what you say. So in, in my experience, I can't change the world around me. I can't change what's happening in Ukraine or all these other things. But I can certainly change my reaction to it, how I interpret it and what I think of it and what I do with it. So if I go forth and do my best intention and put it out there, either I get what I'm after or I don't. And if I don't, then it's acceptance. And I accept that there's a bigger picture. And maybe my intention that I may think of is the best intention may not be. It may be better something else up the road that's better, that's wiser. So I can put out the attention, but no matter what happens, I accept it because I realize that I can't change that world, but I can indeed change how I react to it within myself. Let's go to Mary in Los Angeles now. Hello, Mary. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, my uh, very act of calling you so often, or calling still, I mean, Bill Handel, and before that, Howard Stern, if you have an effect on the world, to feel that I'm part, it, it, a bigger part of the world, and not just, you know, within a hundred miles of people I see. Yeah. And um, the attention here is to thank you for opening vistas that I never knew existed. I, I'm going through something so mind shattering. I just I don't even know how to begin. There's somebody writing to me and it's somebody from a different planet. She's texting me. She's texting me. Who? And I know her. She's my daughter. We were in a life in Ireland together and her daughter, my granddaughter, lives with within, you know, fifty feet of me. I can't believe that all this stuff I hear you talk about is true. And more so. Are you there? Yeah. Listening to you, Mary. I'm just shocked. I mean, I, I you know, I listen to you. I believe in you. I don't need you. But when, when I get somebody writing by recall to me, and then I'm heard of text, and, and I hear her talking in Martian to me, she talks to me. And I know what she was saying on some deeper level. Well, let's bring you in here for a second, Matt. She's obviously very emotional on this situation with uh, her relatives, her family. How do you overcome that? Well, you have to have compassion, and, and it gets back to acceptance again. You can't control what other people do, but you can control your reactions to it. So when I have negative situations in my life, the negative things, I do not give my energy to it. When people get upset about some things, I'll just tell them, look, it, it's not good energy. I'm not going to contribute my energy to it. I've had members of my family who were caught up in bad negative drama, and I refused to participate, and they shut me out. And I'm like, okay, that's your choice. So realize that other people have the problems and uh, don't take it personally because it's beyond us, and you can't control. Nobody can control what anybody else says or does, ultimately what we all need to do is be responsible for ourselves. And if it's not a good thing and it's hurtful, it's not worth the energy. And that's where you have to bring yourself some objectivity and protect yourself and not get caught up in it. You can't let it destroy you. No, because you can't, you're absolutely right, George. You can't let it destroy you because you can't control, and you can be the nicest person in the world to some people, and they're still going to be yep. messed up with their own trauma. Let's go to Joe, Long Island, New York. Hi, Joseph. Go ahead. Yeah, I have a question, and then I want to 
ask about George's favorite movie and intention. Uh, my question uh, is, Matt, on the, uh, if you're getting an impression, you know, lots of times people, it's not quite a vision, but if you're getting an impression and it could relate to travel or something like that, that, that could just be arising, I think, out of your own intention, not really intuitive, but just a manifestation of your intention. Or maybe it isn't from your intention and maybe it's something you could follow. So that's my question. And then from the previous episode, I was thinking of uh, how much money was a factor in uh, It's a Wonderful Life. And, uh, uh, you know, that one scene where Sam Rainwhite calls and he's like the rich guy on this potential boyfriend or whatever. But she has no intentions for him. She only pretends to be wanting to talk to him. You know, so that's a perfect example of intention. But, George, I was thinking, what? What part could you have uh, cast yourself in in that movie? Like, what would be some candidates? Would you have played Nick the bartender? I would. I would have played George Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> I would have not Mr. Potter. Tom could have played Mr. Potter for us. You got it. But what was your first question for yeah, uh, Matt? Yeah, in other words, when you're getting an impression, uh, how do you read when you get, you keep getting, uh, I'm getting a repre- impression over and over again. Do you follow that, or how much credence do you put in an impression? It's all yours, Matt. Yeah, so to me that has to do with the quality of the energy. If the energy, if I get the impression that makes me feel uneasy or threatened or angry or just something that's negative, then I don't give my energy to it. But if I get a positive impression to it, then I follow through with that. And and I've had, uh, in my travels and my experiences, I've had a number of impressions that came to me through nature, whether it was uh, asking a particular question and then seeing a rainbow or other elemental spirits that I, I put out a particular intention toward them, and it comes back to me with a very definitive synchronicity. For me, every time you have a synchronicity, that's an indicator that you're on the right path. And I think in a bigger picture, if you're really thinking that way and putting out a conscious intention, see a rainbow. To me, that's a big cosmic answer. Huge, isn't it? Yeah. Chance in Florida, welcome to the show. Hi, Chance. How's everyone doing? Great. Hope you are, too. No, well. I called back in March, and uh, we ended the coronavirus. I don't know if you remember that with detention and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if possibly we could all take a moment, everybody, and uh, do that for the war and everything in Ukraine right now. It's reaching a crazy level, man. So whether that be pray or send out positive vibes, whatever you do, let's all try to do it because it's very, it's really reaching apex right now. Well, you set the tone chance for people to do it, and uh, I think they should. And uh... With intention, is the one just as important as the many, Matthew? Yeah, because the uh, the many is in the one, and the one is in the many. It's the uh, it's the implicate explicate order. It's the same thing. It's, it's the same thing as as a, a hologram, which is the model. If you break a hologram up into a bunch of pieces, the whole is contained in each one of the pieces. Eric's with us in Aurora, Colorado. Eric, thank you. Go ahead. I- I've been listening to the conversation and looking back on lessons of life, and all of this reminds me of Socrates and his idea that the unexamined life is not worth living. Interesting take on that, Matt. You want to react to that one? It's to, to me, it's a great mystery. And people ask me, well, what's going to happen or what are you going to do or blah, blah. And I always say, we'll see how the mystery unfolds because it is bigger than us. And it's full of surprises. And it's and it's quite the ride all the way to the end. And even at the end, we don't know that that's the end. 
because when life as we know it here in the three dimension of the physical world ends as we know it, there's a great mystery waiting for us on the other side, and nobody knows what it's going to be until we get there. Matt, sometimes bad things happen to good people. How come? I think there are bigger lessons to be learned. Um, I know in my case, I did a lot to help a lot of people, and I ended up almost financially destitute, and I realized it was because I gave too much of myself. I realized that I was an empath, and I was being taken advantage of by narcissists. And it took losing almost everything I had in order to learn that very hard and valuable lesson. And now that I've learned it, I'm thankful for all of it. Because like we were talking about earlier, you can't take it with, with you when you go anyway. No, you can't. Let's go to Carl in Boston, Massachusetts. Hi, Carl. Hi, hi, George. Thank you for taking my call. Sure thing. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I had a, a comment uh, about intention. You know, I've been deeply in love with two women uh, so far in my life. And, um, you know, at, at, uh, when, when we were doing our thing, you know, uh, I had intended to, you know, make a, make a baby. And, you know, if, if, if it was not the fact that, you know, 30 days later, you know, she's like, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, anyway, so. So that that's my intention, and then I I I, I didn't say this to Tom, but I had a question. Uh, as far as with uh, shamanism goes or uh, ayahuasca, uh, did did you have to fast for like ten days before you were eligible to uh, take the ayahuasca? And then um, one final comment, and then I'll get off. Um, to the first caller that uh, called about intentions, you know, intention has a lot to do with the ego, and this is coming out of uh, a different book, uh, and uh, I'm sorry, George, um, and, um, you know, the ego, you know, can, can make or can make or break you, and it, it's just a matter of how you interpret things in, in not reacting and making yourself grow stronger, and uh, to the guest, I, I wanted, I was looking up your book, and I couldn't find it, so if you could give a better description on where to get your book, uh, please. Thank All you. All right, we'll do that. Ayahuasca, do you have to fast for 10 days? I don't think so. Do you? No, but you do have to have a very clean diet, and you can't really be on any drugs or substances. It's even recommended, you know, not to drink coffee. You want to be as pure as you can, but to, to go 10 days like that fasting is actually too much. It's not good for your body, but you do want to be clean. You want to abstain from alcohol. You're also supposed to abstain from fatty foods and sugar and anything like that. So, and, and the actual, the diet, when you do the 10-day diet in the jungle, is very, very bland. You want to be as pure as you can so that I can have the maximum effect on it. Best place to get your book would be where? Amazon.com. Holographic Cosmic Man, Amazon.com for you. We're going to come back and wrap things up with Matthew Palomari in just a moment on Coast to Coast. And his website, if you're looking for it, just go to coasttocoastam.com. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you along with Matt Palomari. Matt, what's your next project? What are you working on next? I'm going back. I'm actually uh, I'm on my 10th story in a my third short story collection. I've been doing a bunch of nonfiction on the past few years, and one of my fans is begging me for some fiction again. So I've got uh, the title is The Thinning Veil, and it has to do with shifting of realities and the thinning of other worlds and all that. Well, that should, that should be fascinating. And definitely get a hold of us when that one is out. The name of this book that we've been talking with Matt about tonight, Holographic Cosmic Man. And as he mentioned, it's available on Amazon. Matthew, thank you so much. 